Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dindi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talia Dindi. Today, our very special guest is Amy Berg. Amy is a breast cancer and breast implant illness coach and workshop facilitator. She supports her clients with taking control of their health, restoring intimacy, and creating new futures after diagnosis and treatment. Amy has a background in theater and certifications in transformational coaching, health and habit change, and creativity coaching. She lives in Wisconsin, about an hour east of Minneapolis, St. Paul. When she isn't working with clients, she enjoys writing, reading, long walks in the woods with her dog, and traveling with her husband. Amy has a very interesting story to share with us about her cancer journey and some of the trials that she faced along the way. I'm sure that you will learn a lot from our discussion. So without further ado, Amy, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Talia. I Absolutely. It's great to meet with you. My pleasure, Amy. Amy, why don't we get started? I know a little bit about your background and your story, but please share with the audience, number one, how you discovered that you had breast cancer, and then just walk us through and share some of the the things that you learned and uh, some of the trials and tribulations that came along with your journey. Sure. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer in September of 2018. So I have been in remission for going on four years, did not expect it at all. Uh, My mother has dementia and a lot of anxiety, and I had brought her to the doctor for just an annual physical. And the doctor told her that she needed to have a mammogram. And she got very anxious and and nervous about it. And I said, mom, don't worry about it. Let's just go together. Like I got the card in the mail. We'll have mammogram with mom day. It's no big deal. So um, at that time, she lived about an hour away and I drove in. We um, had our mammograms. Everything seemed fine. And as I was driving home, I got a call in the car saying that both of us needed to come back for a second mammogram. And at the time I was... I think I was more upset than anything. It felt like, not that I was concerned about breast cancer at all. If my thought was, this is, it's their diagnostic equipment. It just, I, we went to the wrong clinic. We should have gone to the breast center right off the bat. It didn't occur to me that anything was going to be, but something told me just listening to instinct, something told me schedule the appointment separately. And I had a doctor appointment the following day. I don't even remember what it was for, probably like some kind of general physical or something. So I arranged, I arranged to go to the breast cancer that same day. And I arranged for my mother to have a separate appointment about a week out and didn't tell her anything yet. Just said, we both need to go back. I went to the breast center, went for my second mammogram 
and they brought me in the room. They did the, the mammogram. They brought me back to the waiting area. They got me again. They brought me back for another mammogram. They brought me back to the waiting area, stay in your gown, all of that. And this time the nurse um, brought a radiologist in the room and she was a very straightforward person, um, not super warm or anything, just asked me if I had ever had a biopsy before. And I said, no. And she said, well, we want you to have a biopsy, um, something that looks like it could be abnormal on your screen. We just want to make sure we want to rule it out. So they're recommending that you have what's called a stereotactic biopsy. At the time, I, I was still in that space of, are you kidding me? Like, this is, I have to drive back. This is going to be a big deal. Well, when, like how, how soon does this need to happen? And she said, well, my recommendation would be get it done within the next five to seven days, which was like, okay. So I scheduled it. Um, it was right before Labor Day weekend um, for that and went to my doctor appointment that afternoon with my regular doctor. And I said, yeah, so I have to go have this biopsy next week. And she said, yeah, I, I see that. I said, I really, I'm not even remotely concerned about it. There's no breast cancer in my family. Like it's, it's going to be fine. And she said, well, I'm really glad that you're not worried about it. And only five to, to 10% of breast cancer cases are hereditary. So I'm also glad that you're taking it seriously and you're going. So that kind of made me take it a little more seriously. So the biopsy was the following Tuesday after Labor Day. And for some reason, all of my drama about all of the work and things that I had to do, and like, this was just an inconvenience and I wasn't taking it seriously. For some reason, when I went to the breast center that time and I actually got in the room, it hit me that this was serious. And it was like, I just knew that it was serious. And I had, I won't go into all the detail, but I had a little bit of a meltdown, which is not like me with the nurse and the very gracious radiologist. They were so kind to me and patient with me. And I had the procedure for those who don't know what it is. A, a stereotactic biopsy is when you, when you, in, you lie flat on your belly and your breasts kind of come down through a hole in the table it's kind of like a combination of a mammogram and a biopsy where they, they kind of look at everything. They look at the image, like an, kind of like an X-ray, like a regular mammogram. And they also take a sample at the same time so they can get a, a closer look at what's going on. And I remember the doctor saying that she was going to be doing a little bit more of a sample than they had initially planned. And there was just something about the energy in the room. I just knew this is going to be coming back as breast cancer, which was shocking to me. See me. Is that what changed the energies that, that you felt? Is that what changed and made you feel like, okay, this is really serious? Because you share that when you came into the room, it hit you at that point that it was serious. It wasn't even that they had the energy in the room. It was, you know, they brought me to the room and they, you know, pointed out the gown and everything. And I was in, I don't know how to describe it to Leah. Mm -hmm. It was like just something when I was in that space, like something, a gut instinct was like, no, this is real. This is not just a waste of your time. And you do need to be here as much as you are pretending this is some kind of inconvenience. You need to be here. You need to take care of yourself. And then being in the room with them and having the procedure, it felt like the energy from them. And I've heard other breast cancer survivors say this too, that they just knew based on the reaction of the people. And I don't know if that's yeah. true or not, but um, it was, they knew and I knew it just kind of confirmed everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I understand. Thank you for sharing that.
Yeah. So that was on a Tuesday and I went home. And so the biopsy, like they told me to expect to have, it, it was my left breast and they told me to expect to have bruising for it to be a little uncomfortable, you know, take some ibuprofen and all of that, which I expected. And it was, it was, you know, she did a pretty deep, um, she just said that secondary deeper biopsy. What I didn't expect was I had an allergic reaction to the chlorhexidine, which is the surgical prep that they put on your skin before doing any of invasive biopsy. So I was very bruised and my skin turned purple and peeled off. So it was telling you this for a reason. It comes back, we can come back to it when I talk about breast implant illness. It was something I should have paid more attention to at the time. And I, I didn't even, I had no idea that I was allergic to chlorhexidine or you know, anything. So, so that was on a, that was on a Tuesday on Thursday, I was working and my husband was working. He also works from home and I got the call from the nurse. Um, she told me over the phone. I remember I was sitting at the kitchen counter. I remember when she called me, my heart was absolutely racing. Um, I live in a rural area. So she called me on the landline first. And I, I remember she was like, are you, are, do you have a moment you can talk? And again, it's like, you know, you know, when they say, mm -hmm. do you have a moment where you can talk? Yes. it's going to be a conversation. And I, I said, yes, I do. I remember I was talking really fast. You're like, yes, I do. But I live in this rural area and we get a lot of dead spots sometimes. Can we change it from my cell phone to the landline? Mm -hmm. She called me on my cell phone first. I think I said landline, but anyway, so she called me right back on the landline. My husband knew too. I could just feel his yeah. energy. I could tell he was sitting in the next room. I could tell that he knew it too. And she said, well, you have breast cancer. We found what looks like um, it's early age, so it is very treatable. She was very reassuring, very lovely woman, very treatable. It's stage zero, grade three. Now, when you hear grade three, don't panic because gr grade is different from stage. Mm -hmm. Stage zero means that it is at the point where it is pervasive. Mm -hmm. um, it is CIS, which stands for ductal car carcinoma in situ, which means it is contained in the duct, milk duct of the breast. It hasn't broken through the, the duct yet, but she said it looks like it's stage, or excuse me, it looks like it's grade three, which means it's rapidly growing and that the, the cells are dying off in the milk duct. And because of that, the doctors tend to um, treat it like stage one breast cancer. She said, I don't want to go over a whole bunch of stuff with you on the phone right now. We want to um, bring you in. It'll be a longer appointment. You'll actually meet with the breast surgeon. You'll meet with me. You can bring, you know, a caregiver, whomever with you. That's going to, she said, I recommend that so that they can help you process things and take notes because I get that this is, you know, it can be some shocking news, mm -hmm. but she just told me enough over the phone. Like, um, you know, it's very treatable. Most women choose to have a lumpectomy. Usually she said the doctor will go over all of this and obviously give you very personalized treatment options, but most women choose a lumpectomy with radiation and hormone treatment therapy, um, usually called amoxifen for five to 10 years after the surgery. And that survival rate is very high. Like it's okay. Mm. She was great. And she was very reassuring. And I remember being very, other than that, my heart racing before she called, yeah. it was like the whole time I was kind of numb. I don't know how you yes. were when you experienced this, but just that sort of out of body numb. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Just, I, I got this, I'm going to focus. I'm going to just, you know, take it one step at a time. And I remember I get more choked up thinking about my husband than I do about 
my own experience because he and I, this is more information than people need to know, but to give a little bit of context, um, we were first at 13 and 14. And then we separated. I went to school for theater and he went into the military and we actually um, didn't see each other. Um, last time each other, didn't see each other for something like 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We reconnected about 10 years ago. We got married, it was just five years in February. So at the time we had just been married about a year and his mother had passed from cancer. And so this was very difficult for him. So I was hanging up with the nurse and, and mostly just reassuring him like, honey, I've got this, you know, like she's shared with me, this is very treatable. This is going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And said, we need to go have an MRI before you meet with the surgeon so that we can just make sure that it's not in any lymph nodes, you know, we'll possibly be looking for more of that when you have your surgery, but yeah. we just want to make sure that there's nothing that pops up on the MRI that we need to address in a different way. So we had the MRI, the, you know, like a couple days later, process stress in a in kind of an unusual way. Like I kind of yeah. laugh a lot and I um, get kind of giddy in a weird way. It's like mm -hmm. I compartmentalize and just let it go, you know, try to make it seem like a big deal. So I remember like we were, we were having the MRI and it, it was almost like goofy, like a really mm -hmm. goofy energy. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so we went, we had the MRI, we saw the, the nurse and the breast surgeon a couple of days later, everything seemed fairly standard. There was no, nothing impacting lymph nodes or anything like that. It was basically what they thought it was, which is the DCIS grade three. Um, and they went over the treatment options, basically shared what I've already shared. And mm -hmm. I remember I said to the nurse, well, I think I just want to have a double mastectomy. Like I'm going to obviously take time to process all of this information, but that's my gut instinct is that's what I want to have. And she looked a little surprised, but you know, very supportive, very professional. She said, well, we'll want to, we'll want you to meet with the plastic surgeon. So we'll set up that appointment and all that. Amy, at that moment, when you were thinking that that's what you wanted to do, what had you based that decision on? Or was it just an, an initial reaction? Such a good question. So I based that decision on, I wanted the cancer out of my body. I also had concerns about radiation and hormone therapy. I did not want to be on hormones for 10 years or hormone. I shouldn't say hormones. It's hormone blockers is what it is. So basically what they would do is they, ha you have the surgery, they look at the cancer, they find out is the cancer estrogen receptor positive, which mine was. So if I had had a lumpectomy, I almost surely would have been on hormone blockers for 10 years. So I didn't want that. I didn't want radiation therapy, partly because it just didn't seem like the right fit for me. My gut was telling me it wasn't. And I'll be honest with you. I am a workaholic. Mm -hmm. I was a workaholic in a less than healthy way before. Now I love what I get to do. Like I, I truly embrace work and love work and I'm passionate about what I do. Back then it was an unhealthy way of working. And part of my decision was I don't want to, I think it was 12 weeks of radiation they would have recommended. And I thought this is too much. Like I need to get back to work. This is my busy time. At the time I was working in nonprofit fundraising. It was fall. We had two special events coming up. We have year end giving. We had a lot of grant applications and reporting done at that time of the year. I was like, no, I can't. I got it. I got to get this done. I got to get back to work. All of that, I should just really clarify, all of that is me imposing it on myself. My employer was very supportive. I knew immediately when I was diagnosed, the, the very next day I went in and spoke with them and said, I am not in the mental headspace 
to do this event that's coming up at the, like I had an event three weeks from diagnosis. Sure. I still did, but I said, I need help. Like I am not in the right mental headspace. It was the first time we had done the event and I needed somebody to take on a lot of the logistics and things. So they were great. Um, that was all on me, but to answer your question, that was, that was a lot of my motivating factor is nope, I got to get this done. I get it back to work. I got to get on with my life, mm-hmm. which is something I work with clients on now. It's we have to process the emotions. Yes. We have to process what we're going through or it will come back. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, the emotions. <laughs> yes, exactly. If yeah. we don't, if we don't process it, it's yeah, it's going to come back. But I didn't cry for, for several weeks, almost like it was happening to someone else. I didn't actually shed a tear until about three weeks after diagnosis, when I had made the decision, I am going to have a double mastectomy. And the nurse that I was telling you about, she was kind of my advocate guide the entire time. Mm. She and I met briefly back at the breast center and she gave me order for, I don't know exactly what it's called. It's like a mastectomy cami. Oh, yes. I know what what I'm talking talking about. about. Yes. Yes. What it is, it's like a, it's a binder that they put you in um, you should wear several weeks after your surgery to it's compression. Yes. And it also has something to hold the drains. So mm-hmm. if you have breast surgery, if you have breast cancer surgery and you have a, a mastectomy, sometimes with a lump- lumpectomy as well, um, y- the doctor will likely send you home with drains to keep the fluid from building up and causing an infection. Mm-hmm. They're a pain, <laughs> They're mm-hmm. a terrible pain, <laughs> but the, the cam, the cami is meant to kind of keep them attached so they don't snag on anything and they're kind of protected and a and little more discreet. Mm-hmm. So I went down immediately after that appointment to the, uh, the, the area of the clinic where you buy like supplies, home health supplies and things okay. like that. That's where you, you get supply the supply chain area, yeah. like the pharmacy or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Kind of like uh-huh. that. So they fitted me for the camisole. And I remember she pulled a couple different sizes off and, um, she had given me a small and I put it on to see if it would fit and I zipped it up and it was like really tight on the, on the top. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't think this is going to fit this. I think I need a medium. And she said, no, honey, you're not going to have anything up there after the surgery. Uh You'll be able to zip it up completely after Mm -hmm. the surgery. And in that moment, I was like, I just remember like inhaling, like, this is real. Like they're going to be gone. This really is real. And you hadn't even thought about physically what difference it would make, you know? And I understand that because that's probably not something I would have thought about right away either. Like things are going to fit differently. Let's kind of fast forward. So how did your surgery go? Surgery was great. So I should back up and say that I did meet with a plastic surgeon and I did choose to have a double mastectomy, not a single, there was only cancer in my left breast, but I chose to have both of them removed both because I wanted the best chance of not having a recurrence as possible. And I also wanted symmetry regardless of what I, you know, so I chose to have reconstruction again, I'm going to say my gut instinct was not to. But the, from the time I was diagnosed to the day of my double mastectomy was 42 days. So it was kind of fast. And like I said before, I would say nobody was pressuring me. Like I've, I've heard a lot of breast cancer patients say like they felt like they were going through this sort of subtle process where they're just telling you what to do. And I would say that for me, I felt like I was 
helped and assisted and guided by the medical professionals to the best of their ability to kind of help me along through the process that there's no judgment at all about how I it was handled for me, but I feel like I was trying to accelerate the process. Like I shared a moment ago, like, I just want to, I want to make sure that I get the cancer out of my body and I want to get on with my life yes. kind of way of being. So when the plastic surgeon met with me and gave me options, we didn't talk a lot about using my own shoe. That wasn't something that he particularly did. It, it would have been something that he would have referred me to a different kind of plastic surgeon for. My options were basically flat closure, which he said, women who go flat are not happy. That was what he said about it. So for him, it was silicone or saline and how big. Wow. Yeah. It was interesting when he said women who go flat aren't happy, but I was in kind of like I was sharing with you a moment ago, like this sort of mindset of, okay, this mm -hmm. is just how it goes. And I've heard a lot of my clients and other women say that what we thought was almost like you know, if we're going to have to go through this process, mm -hmm. at least we get to have reconstruction and we get to choose the size we want. We will never have to wear a bra again because, you know, like they're, they're staying up. Mm -hmm. Like that's what we think, right? Mm -hmm. Like we think, well, this is, you know, if we're going to have to go through this awful process, at least there's a little bit of a bonus. And, you know, like I can talk to my husband about it, like, honey, what kind do you want? And like, you know, it sounds really mm -hmm. weird to say, but yeah. So it's like I, you're trying to find the silver lining in all of this, you exactly. know, like, I need to find something positive in this. Exactly. Yes, I'm exactly. Kidding. Exactly. So it was like, okay, well, this is what women do. Surgeon said women who go flat are not happy. So, okay. And we did make all of the decisions about saline or silicone or size at that time. So what, what I had was a double mastectomy with expanders place. That's why I went back and talked about the plastic surgeon. So what they do is the wonderful breast surgeon that I met on the day that they walked me through everything. He would go in for the first couple hours of the surgery and basically remove all of the breast tissue. So I would be completely flat and scraped basically of anything. And then the plastic surgeon comes in and he places what are called tissue expanders. They don't all do that. Some, some surgeons recommend doing the implants right away. Some of the clients that I've had have said that they wish they hadn't done that, that it's excruciating. Um, but from what I know now, my surgeon have amended it because basically what they do is they gradually stretch what's called the pocket of the breast, what was the breast area mm -hmm. and um, the skin to make them for the implant. And so basically what they do is you have the surgery, they send you home, you heal for a few weeks, and then you go back to the plastic surgeon's office once a week or every two weeks, depending on how your body responds and how big you want your implants to be. And what they do is they, the tissue expanders, they very gradually fill them with saline to stretch the skin very, very gradually. A lot of women have difficulty with this process. I've heard they have a lot of muscle spasms and issues like that. I did not have those issues. The issue I had was as soon as I had that surgery, it felt like a very hard, it, it felt like somebody was taking a steak knife and digging it into the side of my rib cage and twisting it. And what I now know is the expander has a little bit of a hard edge to it. Mm -hmm. And it was probably just 
pushing on me just the right way. It was absolutely excruciating when I would move a certain way to like play with my dog or bend over or something. It was so painful. And that pain stayed with me until my explant surgery. Even after I had my um, exchange surgery with actual implants, mm -hmm. uh, I was I was in a lot of pain in just one side. So anyway, you know, I had had that surgery. That was in October 2018. Um, and then I had my what they're called, they're called fills. You go and you have your fills every couple of weeks and they gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know. So it's a gradual process. Exactly. Amy, about how long was the process from when you had the surgery? to where you got to a point where you didn't have to keep going back in about how long was that process just so the listeners out there can factor that into their decision making yeah so for me i had my surgery in mid-october and i had my what's called a swap surgery or an exchange surgery for the actual implants in late february so it was about months did you feel like you were well-informed about, you know, the different side effects that could happen throughout this process? So for example, were you aware that, you know, the expanders could poke you? Was that something normal? No. Um, no. I was on several Facebook groups and I had seen other women posting about how horrible the expanders were and that they had um, a lot of issues with muscle strain, that it was excruciating to go and get their fills. And like I said, that wasn't my experience. The experience was that, that horrible pain from the time I had the double mastectomy. I also was not well informed of the risks of breast implants. And that is... It's been a little bit of my crusade now. So I thought my journey was going to be done in February. I thought, well, I've got my implants now. They're not perfect. There were a lot of things I did in fact and did expect with them. Like I had spoken with other women about how they didn't realize they were going to be completely numb after surgery, like your chest, like all the nerve endings and everything, you're completely numb after surgery. Your breast implants are cold, they're not body temperature. So for me, felt very odd. And when I would hug my husband, I, I couldn't feel much up top because all of the nerve endings were severed. But I could feel like when you go to the dentist and it's kind of numb after you get Novocaine yes. mm -hmm. and they were kind of hard. It felt like a big beach ball between the two of us when I would try to hug him, just kind of awkward. Mm -hmm. And not sexy. Yeah. <laughs> that was like I said, just part of the the bonus of having the breast cancer. If we look for the silver lining, is well, at least you can you know have something you, you and your husband can pick out mm -hmm. the size and all that. It wasn't sexy. You don't want to be touched when you don't you can't feel anything, or it's just a constant reminder of what you've been through. Like mm -hmm. when you're having intimacy, it's not it's not fun. It's not fun for me. It wasn't fun for him because he went would touch me. He, it was just a reminder of that's not pleasurable for her. It's not, you know, she's not feeling anything. So what is, what's this? So anyway, I, I was not, I, I knew some of that going in, I guess I wasn't really present to it until it happened to me, but what I really was not expecting was to get sick. Let's talk about that more. Yeah. and how that happened. What led up to that? And then let's talk about too, how you were treated for that 
just how that whole process went, because I think that's very important as well, is that people understand the risks associated, you know, not to say that implants are bad for everybody, but I just think the more information that we can share with people, the more they can make a decision that's best for them. Absolutely. This has become my crusade because approximately 40% of women who choose to have a mastectomy or need to have a mastectomy or, you know, prescribed a mastectomy end up getting reconstructive surgery most often with implants. So I will say, so I was involved in a, in a few Facebook groups during my experience just to educate myself and make my decision. And I interacted a little bit. And while I still had my expanders before I actually got my implants, someone reached out to me and private messaged me. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't want to scare you, but have you heard of breast implant illness? And I said, no, never heard of it. And she said, well, my story is very similar to what I've seen you post. And immediately after getting my implants, I had a lot of symptoms and she described symptoms. There's something like, I want to say there's something like 80 different symptoms that have been associated with breast implants now. And she described how she choking feeling that she had um, a racing heart. She had, she couldn't breathe. She had skin issues, lots of different challenges. And I was scared. What kind of broke my heart when she and I were talking was she finished her message with, I promise you, this is true. And I'm not crazy. It so still that, says, that speaks volumes right there. Yes. I totally believed her. And I called the plastic surgeon's office immediately. Like the, it was like over the weekend, she posted this, like as soon as I could on Monday morning, I called and I spoke with one of the nurses and it was almost like this. You need to come in for an appointment. I can't talk to you about this over the phone, like a complete 180 energetically wow. from the way they were dealing with me before I expressed any concerns about this. Amy, yeah. prior to this woman contacting you in the Facebook group, what kind of symptoms were you having? Did you associate it with breast implant illness? I didn't have my implants yet. This is before I actually had the exchange. Oh. This was about two months in to my fills. Yeah. So I had, I called them and I, I wanted them out. I wanted the um, expanders out at that point. I was I really freaked out by what she shared. And then she referred me to a website and I looked at a lot of other stories and I was like, I don't know. I mean, when I think back to when I was first in his office back in, in September before the mastectomy, I was like, I don't know if I want to have implants. Like it just, I don't know if it's right for me. I don't know if I want that in my body, you know, whatever. So I scheduled the appointment with the surgeon. He seemed annoyed. I said, well, I'd, I'd like to talk about having surgery. Like there's different kinds of surgeries, reconstructive surgeries you can have using your own tissue. Um, they're called deep flap or tram app. And basically they take like a portion of your abdomen or another part of your body, um, tissue from that part of your body. And they, they construct that look like actual breasts. And he said, well, it's too late for that. It wasn't, um, it wasn't appropriate for me to do that with him, but it was definitely not too late. In fact, I could go and have that now if I wanted to, I believed him. He said, you need to stay off the internet. There are women who have issues with implants, but it's from textured implants. And I don't use those implants. And women who have issues, it's caused by a particular protein. It's extremely rare. 
It's not going to happen to you. You need to stay off the internet and stop thinking about it. You're going to be fine. And everything in my body told me, get them out. But I thought I've already come this far. So I'm, I'm just going to decide that I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to have any problems and I'm going to forget about it. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm just going to keep going. And part of why I had chosen um, mastectomy with reconstruction was it was supposed to be one major surgery and one outpatient surgery. And then I was supposed to be done. But what they don't, what most doctors will not tell you is implant manufacturers. These are not lifetime devices. In fact, in 2020, the FDA required what's called a black box warning on implant boxes. I mean, that's good news that th this is coming out, but the bad news is plastic surgeons get those black box warnings and they don't often communicate the risks to patients. Okay. They're supposed to, but they don't. And what the black box warning indicates for um, breast implants is they're not lifetime devices. Mm -hmm. They can cause complications and risks increase the longer you have them in your body. And that breast implants can also be associated with a kind of breast cancer. It's called BI, or excuse me, not breast cancer, a different kind of cancer called BIAALCL that stands for breast implant associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma. Since then, there has been information that tissue expanders also can cause BIAALCL. And in fact, the kind of tissue expanders that I had in my body were recalled for months after I had mine taken out because I had the exchange. So they're very serious risks that mm -hmm. most surgeons are not telling patients about, and they need to know. I mean, like you said, I feel like people need to have the right to make these choices about what they want to put in their bodies, but they need to make informed choices. Yeah. And most women that I've spoken with people who've become my clients or my friends have told me they were not told these things, or they were told, oh, it's not going to happen to you. You're going to be mm -hmm. fine. It's going to be fine. It's extremely rare. Mm -hmm. So another thing that people don't know about is a high percentage of women who have implants because of breast cancer, reconstructive surgery, have to have a lot of revision surgeries. So it's mm -hmm. not a one and done or two and done surgery. About four months after my, my exchange surgery, one of my implants felt like it was sliding down my rib cage. And I went to see the surgeon and he had to do, he had to basically hoist it up. The issue was the pocket was too large, uh, the pocket for the implant, it was basically sliding down. Um, so he had to go in, he had to hoist it. It was, you know, it was an outpatient surgery, but it was painful and another surgery out of pocket expenses and time away. And, you know, afterward I asked him, what can I do to make sure this doesn't happen again or happen on the other side? And he said, well, you need to wear a bra 24 hours a day, basically seven days a week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like one of the, one of the perks of having implants was supposed to be, you never have to wear a yes. bra again. Like you can run without a bra. Nope. Nope. Bra wow. 24 seven. I know. Like, so yeah. Amy, after you got your implants and when you decided to have them removed, what was that time frame, and what was the final straw for you? So I had these complications. They were incredibly uncomfortable. I couldn't sleep on my belly. I couldn't get a massage lying flat. Like there were those complication things, but I had 
horrible symptoms of breast implant illness, which is not recognized by surgeons. Like we've already talked about, it's just starting to be a thing that people are recognizing. The FDA is now putting on their boxes that women can have symptoms that will go away after they have their implants taken out. So the first symptom I had was the most excruciating headache constantly. And it started when I had my double mastectomy, it got much, much worse after my exchange surgery, four months later, it was so bad. It was the back of the head and it was constant and nothing would help. I went to see a doctor and the doctor said, well, I, I went to see her because I thought maybe my cancer was back and was in my brain. It was so bad. There was nothing she could do except prescribe more muscle relaxants and more opioids, you know, um, an antidepressant that would help me sleep because I wasn't sleeping properly because I couldn't sleep comfortably on my side or my belly anymore. I was constantly sleeping on my back. So it was a horrible headache that I had for almost two years because I, I'll tell you in a moment, I explanted in September of 2020. Hmm. The next symptom that was kind of creepy was my vision changed and I had LASIK in 2005. So there was absolutely no reason why I would suddenly have foggy dis, you know, issues with vision. And I actually went to the ophthalmologist, optometrist rather, um, and they couldn't figure it out either. They were mm-hmm. recommending that I have another LASIK, which right. I know, yeah. I know. So vision changes were scary. The worst issues were brain fog and cognitive challenges. I would think I was going to say one word and a completely different word would come out of my mouth. Part of my role was doing presentations. I would be doing presentations in front of live. This was before COVID live in front of a group of like a hundred people and suddenly have no idea what I had just said, no idea what I needed to say next. I'm not somebody who really gets stage fright anymore. I was a theater person. Like I can do presentations. This was like, it was scary. And part of it was my mom had dementia. I was thinking, do I have early onset dementia? So trying to care for someone, she wasn't in assisted living yet, trying to care for her and take her to doctor appointments when she had dementia and thinking, am I getting dementia? It was just Mm -hmm. a really weird time. Those were the most concerning symptoms. I was losing hair by the handful. That was a very weird symptom. I, it was everywhere in my house. Um, Every time I took a shower, it was like a huge handful of hair would come out. Just bizarre symptoms. Like my, I didn't really realize how weird my skin looked until after I got them out and my complexion was like suddenly pink again. My eyes didn't look weird anymore. Like my eyes just kind of looked kind of sunken and dull. There were so many symptoms. I had some, my depression got worse. I had something like 27 symptoms. Those were the worst ones. And like I said, I kind of blocked out that conversation with that lovely woman who reached out to me because I I was like, nope, I'm going to be fine. And then later in 2019, after my vision got really bad and I went to see the eye doctor, something told me to just Google symptoms Mm -hmm. related to implants. And I saw all of the symptoms and realized this has got to be what it is. It has to be. I've got to get these things out. And even if these symptoms are something else, even if they don't clear up, if I can get rid of that headache, if I can sleep on my belly again, if I can, you know, just feel comfortable that way, it will be worth it. And so COVID 
happened. I couldn't get them out right away. It took almost an entire year before I could actually get in and, and get that because it's an elective surgery. Yes. Mm-hmm. My symptoms improved immediately. The weirdest really? one. Oh my gosh, Talia, the vision. This is the weirdest thing. And people are going to think I'm lying. I swear to God, I'm not. I was coming out of anesthesia. I was in the recovery room. The nurse came in. She was sitting next to my bed. She was typing something on the computer next to my bed. And I was still waking up and I looked over and I could see what she was writing on the monitor. And I said, this is going to sound really weird, but I've had vision challenges for the last two years. I can see crystal clear what you're typing right now. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't think it sounds weird. And you're not the first person to say something like that to me. A lot of, you know, the doctor that you are seeing now, the doctor who just did your explant does a lot of explant surgeries and her patients have incredible results and they feel amazing. It's very troubling to hear a lot of the symptoms that are associated with having implants. I've never heard of some of them before. After you saw these results immediately, how did you feel at that, at that point? Did you feel relieved or like what was going through your mind at that point? I know you were surprised because you could, you could see better right away. Yeah. Yeah. Shocked. Uh, Like that one person said to me, I'm not crazy. I mean, it it seems like so many women Mm -hmm. I talk to when they're considering getting them out, especially women who have had breast cancer, they have so many fears that what if I get them out and then I'm completely flat and it will have been for nothing. I was so relieved. I was so grateful. My husband was driving us home the, where I had the, the hospital where I had the plant surgeries about an hour from our house. I'm going to get choked up talking about it. Um, so we're driving down 94 back to Wisconsin and I could see things for the first time in two years. I could read license plates. I could see road signs and my surgeon, my explant surgeon is so great. She texted me as we were going home and she wanted to just see how I was doing. Like, I didn't even know doctors did that. Like who texts their yeah. patients to check on them. And she does this all the time. Oh, and nice. I, I was bawling. Oh. Sorry. I was bawling because I said, you just gave me my life back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Sorry. I don't get this emotional except when I I talk about this. I get it. I thought, oh my God, I had no idea that this is what was going on with me. And in the next few weeks, the brain fog cleared up after about two weeks, the headache cleared up immediately. Like I didn't realize how bad the headache was until it was gone. Mm -hmm. And I remember I kept saying to my husband, I can't believe I don't have a headache anymore. I can't believe how good I feel. It's so amazing to not have a headache. My hair started coming back about two months afterward. Like all of the symptoms in the coming weeks just started. Like I just became a completely different person. My, oh yeah, my energy. How could I forget this one? I felt like I was dying all the time. Like I felt so sick. I felt like I had no energy when I had the implants and to suddenly have energy again and to be able to focus. Like, so I was so grateful. I don't mean to like sit and cry on a, on a podcast episode, but I was so grateful to have a surgeon who believed me and had restored my life. I mean, literally restored my life. And I had been working on a a book about something else Mm -hmm. and I was, 
it was like I said, it was like, it became like a crusade. Like I need women to know that they're not crazy. You are Mm -hmm. not crazy if you're having these symptoms. And I, if you're, especially if you're somebody who has breast cancer and you want to look at having implants, it's your body, it's Mm -hmm. your choice, but please look at the risks. I have met other women who have gotten BIA, ALCL, and are now dealing with a secondary stage four cancer from their implants after breast cancer after their breast cancer is cured. It just, it's like, we need to know going in that this is a real risk so that we can make informed choices and, and to have surgeons that believe women, we need surgeons to believe women. That was another thing about my explant surgeon. When I went in for the consult, she said, if you had been my surgeon, or if you had been my patient, when we were discussing this, you would not have been a candidate for implants. Oh, wow. And this was something I had talked to my first plastic surgeon about. I said, during that visit that I was telling you about, I said, I'm very concerned because I've had a lot of allergies my entire life. I had pericarditis when I was 25 that almost killed me. So I have mm. issues with inflammation. I see. Could this yeah. cause an immune response? And he, at that appointment, he was like, no, no, you're going to be fine. You're going to be totally fine. So my explant surgeon said, no, absolutely not. Based on how your immune system responds to things. No, you would not have been a candidate for implants. And it's silicone and saline. It's not just silicone. It's not just textured. Mine were not textured. It is all implants. All implants contain silicone. Your body responds to them. Your body wants to reject them. Your body does not want them. Mm -hmm. So that became my crusade. I want people to know, I want especially women, breast cancer patients to know it's okay to be flat. What he had said to me, it is not true. I am completely flat. I've been completely flat since September, 2020. I don't use any kind of prosthetics. Not that I never would, maybe I will someday, but I love having my health back. I love being flat. I love that. I don't have to wear a bra 24 seven anymore. This is my crusade. And it's so ironic that that first doctor said that women who go flat are not happy versus what you experienced. Very ironic that 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 happened. And um, obviously you're happy that you did that and it saved your life. What advice, other than what you've already shared with us, Amy, what advice do you have for women? For example, do you wish they had gotten a second opinion when you met with the first doctor? At that time, do you feel like you were in, in a space where you needed a second opinion or... Were you just kind of like, I just want to get this over with? I don't want to point fingers at the surgeon. I feel like a lot of this, I had doctors telling me, you can take your time about this. You don't need to rush into this decision. You have DCIS, but it is not, even though it's grade three, it's not going to break through your cell wall within a week or something. You Mm -hmm. can take time and process this. I am the one who wanted to get it done and push through. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they were rushing me through the process. I don't, you know, I, it's hard to say to I guess I'm asking if there's anything you would have done differently looking back. That's really the question. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a tough question because <laughs> it is would tough. I, would I not have gotten them? Like, I don't believe in like, well, I should have had my 
my breast construction out of my own tissue, or I should have gone flat from the beginning. Like I, I think things really do happen the way they're supposed to happen. But the only thing I would say is my whole body, my whole instincts were telling me from the very beginning, don't do this Mm -hmm. from the time I was visiting with him for the first time and looking at options to the second time when, well, even before that, when that woman reached out to me and I looked at the website, I was like, I can't do this. I need to get these out. This isn't right for me. When I visited with him and and had concerns and he said, stop going on the internet. My body was saying, get these expanders out of your body and do not have that surgery. Mm -hmm. I didn't listen to my body. I didn't listen to my instincts. So that's what I would say, you know, like you're, you know, your intuition will tell you things you need to listen to your intuition. I mean, that's the only thing I would say I would do differently. Yeah. And, you know, Amy, I just want to thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. I was asking those questions because I really want people to understand that these are not easy decisions to make. And there's so many factors that you have to consider. And we don't know which way these things are going to go, especially anything concerning cancer. We really don't know. And so no decision is the decision. That's another point I want to make is you're taking the information that you have at that time and you are doing what's best for you. Your uh, journey is a great example that, you know, okay, you made that decision you later found out that that didn't work for you and you were able to go back and find the thing that worked for you and it's okay. And so that's another thing I want people to walk away from this episode, knowing that, okay, you tried this option. A didn't work. You still have option B or C and it's not the end of the world. And the fact that you were able to make the connection and understand that, okay, this is not right for me. Let me move forward and get these removed and uh, see how I improve. And you did, and you did, and that's it. You keep moving, you keep growing. And that's a blessing in it all. You're still here. You can still move forward with your life. And the most important thing is you have something to share with other people and help them. Amy, let's talk about how you help women through this process with breast cancer and how do you work with your clients? Yeah. So you're right. Like this is the best part. This Mm -hmm. really is the best part. So I started coaching almost 20 years ago, obviously was not a breast cancer coach. I started coaching nonprofit professionals. I worked, uh, that's my passion also is working in the nonprofit sector. I had been working with my own coach, my own health coach, because I've loved coaching my entire life, feels like. I had hired my own health coach about six weeks or so before my diagnosis. And I used to be someone, like I already shared, I'm a workaholic, really, really love immersing in my work and did not really take care of myself didn't think about nutrition very much meal really about like, okay, I'm hungry. I'm just going to eat what I can eat and just work through lunch. And, you know, like whatever was fast and whatever I would, I could do quickly and uh, keep going with work. I used to be a chronic insomniac. I used to never exercise. I used to drink about a half a bottle of wine at the end of the day to wind down. I mean, not healthy habits. Right. So I had, I had hired my own health coach about six weeks before my diagnosis. And the intention was just, I wanted to release about, I don't know, 20 pounds of extra weight. 
And I did like within those first six weeks. And one thing I wasn't expecting was really cleaning up nutrition, cutting out the alcohol, except on special occasions and not missing it at all. It completely balanced my hormones, completely balanced my hunger scale. I didn't crave sugar anymore or bread or anything. Still ate it. Like nothing was forbidden, but my energy shot through the roof. I felt amazing. I was like, oh my God, like I had no idea I could feel this good. And then I was diagnosed. And for a moment I thought, well, I just have to quit. I can't work with my coach anymore. I just, I have to focus on this breast cancer. And Another one of my woo-woo moments was that on that day that I was diagnosed, I was out on my deck with my dog and I, I was ready to text her and say, I'm sorry, I can't work with you right now. I have to focus on this. And I heard this voice say to me, don't you dare quit. And I thought about it I'd like, well, of all the times I've needed somebody to help me focus on my health would be now. So I'm going to keep working with her. And I did. And over the you know next couple months of really focusing on my, my nutrition through the surgery and everything, I realized like, I don't want to go back to coaching nonprofit professionals. I want to help other women get their health right. You know, like mm -hmm. other people yeah. like me that are, that really don't, didn't, this sounds terrible, but I used to say that like French fries were a vegetable. Mm -hmm. It's really bad, like not, not great nutrition. So I did, like, I went back and obtained additional certification, you know, continued my whole journey through those couple of years. And it wasn't until obviously I had my own issue with my implants that I, I realized how much working with a health coach and somebody who can help you with your mindset can help you through that entire process. So I started working with other clients like me. So a lot of my clients have, have had various stages and forms of breast cancer, mm -hmm. either chose to have implants immediately, and then had a lot of issues like I did and have explanted. Um, I work with women who are considering explant. Um, like I said, a lot of us have a lot of concerns about what am I going to look like when they, they come out, it completely changes your thoughts about your body. One of the great things that I get to do as a coach and what my own coach did with me is looking at mindset and how we manage our thoughts through this entire process. I'm sure for you, as somebody who has experienced cancer, people say weird things to you when oh, you, when all you, all the time, <laughs> right. Yeah. I would just be like, are you an autopilot right now? But they don't know, like, they and then don't. they're nervous and then they don't want to say the wrong thing. So they end up saying the wrong thing. It's just very unnatural. <laughs> Totally and we unnatural. We haven't no. been taught how to talk about it. <laughs> no, no. And especially, I'm going to say, especially with breast cancer, because my coach had me doing like working on my thoughts every single day. Like I was texting her thoughts and coming up with my intentional thoughts for the day through this entire process of before surgery and everything. There was one doctor. It was not my regular doctor. I had to have a pre-op for my surgery, my mastectomy. It was somebody I'd never seen before. And I walked in and she said to me, you know, Amy, and she talked like this too. It was so funny. <laughs> you know, Amy, this is going to be very difficult for you. I mean, our, our breasts, they're what define us as women. And because I'd been working with my coach and working my thoughts, I was like, well, that's an interesting thought. Like I don't subscribe to that thought at all. Like that, not for me. Like I identify as a woman and that it doesn't have anything to do with the amount of tissue on my chest cavity, right? Like my chest yes, wall, like, exactly. okay. So a lot of my clients have thoughts about their bodies, you know, like, what will I look like? What do I look like? And we work on 
like loving yourself and your body exactly as it is and choosing to do that and practices to believe that and to really believe that even in a society that's telling you save the tatas or save second <laughs> yeah. base and all of that. So I work with them on that. I work with them on nutrition. Um, I have women who want to release extra weight, both because they have concerns um, that extra weight is releasing extra excess estrogen in their body. And a lot mm -hmm. of us have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. They don't want a recurrence. That's something that they see is going to potentially prevent a recurrence. We were in movement. We know that women who have experienced breast cancer, who move their bodies at least 30 minutes a day, five days a week are something like 50% less likely to have a recurrence. So that's something that we focus on. I also work with women who are, are working on restoring intimacy after mm -hmm. breast cancer, because it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> breast cancer is weird when you can't sleep with your partner because you're uncomfortable because of your implants, or you're having a lot of surgeries and you can't get comfortable when you're both dealing with your body and how it's changed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that comes up. So we work together on mindset. We work with, you know, how the brain works with regard to intimacy and that sort of fight or flight stuff. Like we work on a lot of those pieces together. So Wonderful. I work with people all over the world. I have clients in the UK and Toronto. It, a lot of my clients come from the South. Everything I do is via zoom and over the phone. Everything's remote. I work with clients on one. I, I don't do group coaching at this time. I choose one-on-one. Mm -hmm. -on -one. I may at some point choose to do group coaching, but a lot of what I do is very sensitive and very personal. And mm -hmm. it seems to be that that is what my clients prefer. So I love my clients. I love working mm -hmm. with my clients. I love seeing them awaken and get results and feel great about themselves and, and reinvent themselves. The other thing that we work on closely together is what do you want for your life? after cancer. Mm -hmm. For me, like I said, I shared with you, I knew that I needed to no longer be coaching nonprofit professionals. I had clients that I had put on hold before all of my surgeries and everything. And I chose not to go back to them. I chose to focus on health coaching, creative coaching, life coaching. Mm -hmm. Some of my clients want to write a book and they do. Some of them want to complete a marathon or a half marathon or travel. We work on like, what do you really want for yourself for this one precious life? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Amy, for the people that are interested in the wonderful work that you do to support women that have had breast cancer, where can they find you? You know, how can they start the process of working with you? Absolutely. So I am at amybergcoaching.com. You can go to my website. You can see some resources right now. I have um, breast implant illness stories, my own stories, other survivors. If you're somebody that wants to learn more about you know, how people are doing, these are all breast cancer survivors, how they're doing after X. There is information there about how to sign up for a complimentary call, whether you just want to have a conversation or if you feel like, no, I really need, I want to work with a coach. There's ways to sign up for that too. Mm -hmm. I also do monthly webinars that are free. If people want to just get a sense about more information, all of that is on my website at amybergcoaching.com. Wonderful. And one question that I get asked a lot by potential clients is, do I accept insurance? Amy, is that something that one would be able to use their insurance for? I do not accept insurance, but some of my clients are looking into the possibility of using their flex spending plan. So I can support you with that. 
Okay, wonderful. Amy, you have shared so much information with us that is going to be very helpful for the audience. So I want to thank you for sharing your story, being so vulnerable with us. I'm so happy that you're doing well and you made the decisions that were best for you. And that's so important. Before we end today, I like to ask my guests these two questions. The first one is, what is something that you've learned in life that you would like to share with the audience? Thing I've learned in life after my diagnosis is trust your intuition and go after what you want. I mean, really listen to what you want for your life and get it. Everything from creating my coaching business that I want to have it to I am completing a half marathon. I'm going to go to Italy, like all of these things that I've been putting on hold for the longest time. I don't believe in putting on hold anymore. I believe we should, we should live life now to the fullest. If there's something that's speaking to you and calling to you, there's a reason for that. Get it, go get it. Yeah. I love that. Great advice. And the final question, Amy, is what is next for you? Oh, what's next for me? So I am finishing up a book with other breast cancer survivors and implant illness survivors talking about our journey that will hopefully support thousands of other women. I'm also working on my own podcast and I'm just happy with my coaching practice, my husband, just life. I'm just enjoying living life. Grateful every day. Yeah. Thank you so much. You deserve it. You definitely deserve it. And again, Amy, I just want to thank you for educating us about a lot of things that I didn't know. And for the people out there that are considering surgeries and implants and things like that, please take into consideration the information that Amy has shared with you. And then also reach out to Amy. Um, I will put her uh, information in the listen notes and feel free to reach out to her and, and get the support and guidance that you need. Amy, again, thank you. Thank you and very much. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. Before we end today, I'd like to give a shout out to the listeners Thank you for joining us. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.